Psalms 25 says, Unto you, O Lord, do I bring my life. So here we are, bringing our life to him. So I'm going to start out with a little show and tell. The Lord woke me up the other day and was telling me, Get something out of your trunk. Get your, um, get your belt buckle out. So I got my belt buckle out. Some of y'all may know what it is. Some of you are like, I don't know what she's talking about. This is a trophy buckle from a rodeo. And it's mine. <laughs> and some of you may not believe that, like, you? What would you do? Barrel racing? Pole bin? No. I was a bull rider. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Quite a while ago, I might add. They wouldn't let girls ride bulls in all the rodeos unless you went to Oklahoma. But, um, but Dad had me pull this out and, and kind of remember a little bit about what that, that eight-second process of that ride was like. And, um, you know, it's like the longest eight seconds of your whole life. But the success of that ride has everything to do with how you seat yourself in the chute and how you grip that rope. And so I remember that. I remember the preparation. I remember the gripping on that rope for dear life. And depending on the animal you drew, that eight-second, like, rift in the space-time continuum, I love that spacey word, can seem like forever because you've got to hang on until you hear that whistle blow. And uh, there was a, we lived in a small rural community, so there was one announcer that did all the rodeo circuits, right? And he would, you knew his voice, you knew what he was going to say, but every time when you'd sit down, this is before they made you wear helmets and vests and stuff, so you had to wear a hat to come out of that rodeo chute. And so when you would put your hat on and you got your grip and you'd nod your head and they'd open that gate, this old announcer would go take a deep seat and a faraway look, cowgirl. And that kind of feels like 2020, doesn't it? It feels like right now. Because for a lot of us, this has been like a definite disruption in the space-time continuum. And, uh, you know, I thought about some different things. In, in the business world, there's examples of what they call market disruptions. And uh, like Walmart is one of them. They would come into a small city, not the big cities at first, and eventually they would kind of put the mom and pop businesses out of business. I knew that my dad had a small business. He was a, a lawnmower and chainsaw sales and service guy. And I can remember us going to the town where there was a Walmart about 25 miles away and him walking through and seeing the stuff that he saw. He's like, dang, they can sell that stuff cheaper than what I can buy it. And he would see his friends buy the stuff, but they couldn't service it. So they'd have to come back to him for service. And, you know, if I don't think he would do it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'd charge them a little bit more because they bought that sucker at Walmart instead of from me. But that's me. That's not my dad. And, you know, you have to repent for that stuff and, and, and move on. And then, you know, then we got Amazon. And Amazon started out disrupting the book business. And, my gosh, now they're disrupting every business. They're disrupting everything you can think of. They're even in my business. I'm in healthcare, And Amazon's in healthcare, And they bought Whole Foods. And they're, they're, just, they're everywhere. They cause a shift in the way that we do things. And that's going on now. So we're working through this big disruption. We're working through this disruption in, like, our work. Some of us are working too much. Healthcare people are working too much. Firefighters working too much. There's all this overtime going on with these different... And then there's people working too little. People don't have jobs or not working at all. If you're, in, if you're in, like, the food business, you're working too little. If you're working in the movies, you're working too little. If you're working in oil field right now, you're working too little. There's a lot of disruption in the way that we've done stuff. Hospitality, not even talk about what our schools are like. 
Uh, my husband, Pat, my daughter, Carmen, they've all been working from home since March or April. And I mean, there's how many memes have you seen and videos of like accidental passages through somebody's Zoom call of somebody with not enough clothes on or, you know, wearing like, mommy, I've got a dirty diet, stuff like that. So that's, and it's been disruptive to, there's lots of churches still that are not even meeting in person like we are. So, you know, God, so neat. He knows all this stuff before it happens. Nothing surprises him. I have a friend that used to say that all the time. Something would come. She'd go, you know, this is no surprise to God. And it's not. He gives us such great examples of men and women all through here that have had disruptive things way bigger than what we're going through, way bigger than that, more eight-second rides than you can count. So we can see how to do stuff. So one of my favorite guys as I was studying what to talk about, um, I love Daniel because, man, that guy had some serious disruption in his life. And he was such a steady Freddy. Man, his name, and, and it's a big deal to know his name because in the Old Testament, everybody's name meant something. And his name meant only God is my judge. So let's remember that as we go through these stories. There's a little bit of backstory. If you don't know, read the whole books. It's, it's like the best spy novel. There's all kinds of intrigue. There's ups and downs. There's superpower stuff. There's stuff going on. But he had been taken into captivity by the Babylonian king, along with a bunch of other youths, when um, Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem. And the king wanted these young people. That's what they would do back in the day. They would take the young people, the, the, uh, the really healthy ones, the smart ones, the bright kids. They would take these groups, and they would bring them out of their culture. And then they would begin to teach them the literature and the language and the, and the things that go on in the culture that they had been overtaken by. And that's how you change culture. You start with young people. And we can see that all over. That hasn't changed. And then they would change their name. So remember, Daniel's name was only God is my judge. And they changed his name to Belteshazzar. Say that fast five times, right? Which means the king's attendant. So we shift our eyes off of God to pay attention to man. We've got a name change there. They tried to change his taste. They tried to get him to eat the king's food, the rich things that came from the table, which had been offered to idols, which was another reason they didn't want to eat it. So you look at the, the principles that they had, their culture, their language, their identity. Every bit of it was under assault. So in the midst of all that disruption, Daniel found favor. I mean, he was a steady Freddy. He found favor with his captors. One of the things that they tried to get him to do with eating that food, he, there was a eunuch that was in charge of all these guys. That's how they operated back in the day. And um, <clears throat> this guy, Daniel said, look, don't serve me that food. Let us eat the stuff that we've been used to eating, which is where we get the stuff for Daniel fasts and those grains and healthy things and not eating a lot of rich meats and things like that. So we get that from him. And the guy's like, you don't know this king. And that's one thing I read through that. We only get... We get good character representation for us, but boy, you see how nasty other people can be. And these kings had some serious egos. So he said, you know, I, I can't let you eat your own food. This guy will kill me if y'all don't look as good as these other kids. He goes, give me 10 days. Just let me eat. Me and my friends, let me eat what we've always eaten. Let me, and just see how it is. So he had favor there, and the guys let him do that. <clears throat> and so after 10 days, Daniel and his friends 
were smarter, sharper, healthier, and better looking and equipped than these other guys. He had favor. And during that period of time, he learned more rapidly than all these other guys. He gained knowledge and skill and learning and wisdom, and he learned to interpret dreams and visions. He was good at that, so much so that when it was time to be presented to the king, the king found him ten times better than anybody else in his peer group and anybody else in his realm of um, people that came from the same class as him. So Daniel served like four different administrations. You look at that as he went through like four presidents, except they had longer terms. And he was in captivity for probably about 70 years or so. So he had a pretty good perspective on different things, different uh, problems that would arise, and, and a perspective on his God. These guys, I'm telling you, they had some narcissistic tendencies. So when we see our life, we see our disruptions, what are we, what are we supposed to do with that, y'all? I mean, one thing I'm learning through all of this is don't react so much. I read an article uh, not too long ago by a guy who had been, a, he'd been a, some kind of stealth military operator, I don't know that he was a believer so much, but one of the quotes that I remember from that article said, if you're losing, you're cool. You're losing. And we use the word like triggered or, you know, that really triggered me, that really set me off. What that is is you've allowed someone or something to dictate your emotional state. So it reminds me kind of of that scripture over in James. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he won't receive anything from the Lord. I don't know about y'all. I need to receive something from the Lord. And I need to receive it like all the time. Because <laughs> I got to deal with people every day. <laughs> I have a husband. I, gotta, I need to hear from God every day. <laughs> but you know, y'all, I, mean, I saw this little quote. And I, I, it was so good, I put it on my Facebook page. I said, I'd, I would, I'd rather be a thermostat in my culture and not a thermometer. Because a thermostat is going to set the temperature. A, therm a thermometer is just going to reflect what's already there. And we're supposed to be that. We're supposed to be the stabilizing factor. We're the normal in the culture, guys. We don't let the culture dictate to us who we are and how we're supposed to respond. We've got to get our motivation from inside. It's got to come in here. Paul said it so well. He wrote a letter, and he wrote probably his most positive letter in the whole New Testament to the Philippians. And he wrote it from prison. And I think we've got uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, if y'all guys can pull it up. He said this, he said, I'm not telling you this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. I know what it means to lack. I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or hunger. And I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power, I love that, infuses me to conquer every difficulty. And this guy's in chains. He's sitting there telling these people what to do. Whatever state he was in, man, he learned how to be at peace. And when we learn how to tap into God's strength like that, we can remain calm. And we can be steady, and we can be well-balanced no matter what we have disruptively going on around us, right? Sometimes there's just going to be stuff you have to deal with, though. Ugh, and it's not going to let up for a hot minute. So what I've learned is if the pressure's not going to let up, i got to have more strength. 
And that says we have the ability to tap into that. God's got so much. And, you know, I've not always known quite how to tap into all that stuff. I've not quite known how to be good at that and not reacting. But I love, we used to sing some little song in, um, we didn't have children's church, but we had vacation Bible school. And it was like the B-I-B-L-E. What is that? Basic instructions before leaving earth. Because this is just an earth suit. We just got to deal with this part for just a little while, y'all. So God's got how-tos, and Daniel is my prototype. He lived, God, his life, y'all, when you read it, it was just so amazing. He was so, so good. Taken from that sheltered, like religious, kind of protected life, and he was put right in the middle of the largest, the most powerful, the most cosmopolitan culture, and certainly the most anti-God culture on the earth at that time. And he did well. And he prospered. You know, he had so much favor. He made it through all kinds of negative things that went on. And so we find out from him that there's a pattern that can help us to figure out how to get through our negative disruptions. So what if the first thing he did was rise to a higher level of productivity? Like, oh my gosh. But God gave him that ability. God gave him that grace and that mercy. And he did that in a culture that he didn't grow up in. And he did that excelling among the native people who did grow up there. So Daniel 6, 3 through 5 talks a little bit about how that worked for him. I think we've got that one. He distinguished himself above all the other governors because he had an excellent spirit. I love that word. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So this is a guy in a pretty big position of power. And these other guys, there's always jealousy and envy. Have you noticed that? If you start doing well, people are like, I don't like that. It makes me look bad. So they started thinking what they could find, and they couldn't find anything in him because he was faithful, and there was no fault in him. And they said, we'll figure out something. We'll get him on the laws concerning his God. Now, wouldn't that be what you'd like to be taken down with? Gee, we got to get, get Nikki on how she worships her God because we ain't got nothing else. Wow. I could go with that if I had to go. But it, that excellent spirit, it's not just he wasn't just nice he wasn't just polite. He did things well. He did his work well. He completed his task. I, there's a phrase I remember from construction. He said, measure twice, cut once. He was that kind of guy. So he took the representation of the Lord very seriously. Colossians 3, 2 says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. He took that very seriously. We know that he was noticed because it tells us the king wanted to promote him. And he did do it over his whole kingdom. He's like number two in command. And God's no respecter of persons. He can do that for us too. In the middle of what's going on, with all that stuff, Daniel rose to the top. We can too. God can promote. God can elevate. He can move us into positions of influence. And he can have us be in positions that influence the influencers. So when those ripple effects go out, they don't diminish. They swell. They're like a tsunami. And it just starts with what God's done in you, what God's doing through you, what God wants from you. Daniel's life matched up what he said he believed. He wasn't all talk. His life was upright. And so these guys are looking for ways to take him out, right? They couldn't get him with drugs. They couldn't get him with alcohol. They couldn't get a big sex scandal. The worst they could come up with was, wow, how he worshipped his God. 
So these guys came up with what they thought was a brilliant plan to take him out. They went to the king. The king's got an ego. And they told him, hey, we've got this good idea. We're going to honor you. Why don't we, for the next 30 days, put up a statue in the center of town? And nobody can make a prayer. Nobody can make a petition to anybody but you. King thought, hey, cool. And they made, there's a scripture that says all of them came to him. So if I'm the king, I'm thinking, okay, all these guys are under Daniel. Daniel's their supervisor. Surely he knows about this. They said all, so everybody must be in agreement with that. Well, that's what happens when you assume. Um, and there's phrases that go with that, but I won't do say that in church. <laughs> but he also, you know, he didn't think about the other things that could have happened. He, he makes this decree. He signs it. And in that day and age, if you signed a decree, man, you couldn't go back on it. You couldn't change it. Once it was written, it was done. And that was it. So he makes this decree. Okay, the pagan temples are shut down. The people that work for them are shut down. The people that sell business wear to the temples are shut down. It's like a, like a limited government shutdown. It's no different from today. He makes a decree. These people pay the penalty for it. But this one had a fine associated with it. And it was a pretty intense one. It wasn't, um, it wasn't 30 days in the hole. It was one night in the den. And it was a den of lions on this one. You got caught doing this stuff, you're going down into the lion's den. And so, you know, Daniel says in 6, I think, 10 through 11, he heard about it. He knew the king signed that petition. He went home, went in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. That's a key. Knowing the penalty of what the king had decreed, he rose above what he was afraid of. He rose above the fear that was associated with that penalty. And he didn't allow the king to, to the decree to affect his connection, his personal one, to his God. That's a great pattern, y'all. That's one, I mean, Brad McClendon has told us, look for the patterns. Here it is. All the day long, he would pray three times a day, give thanks to God. It wasn't for show. He didn't go do it in the market square. He went home. He didn't do it because he was trying to impress anybody. It was obvious to Daniel God was big, and this was very important for him to keep doing it. He wasn't in fear. He wasn't hiding. And, you know, you read through this book, you see when Daniel talks to God, he talks to him like he's big. And when he talks to kings, he's not really intimidated by what power they hold or what they wield. He's able to talk to them face to face. You know, there's a, I've got to tell a little side story because, because if I wasn't sitting under Pastor David, I mean, you've got to tell a side story if you're sitting under David. <laughs> so there's another story that Daniel had. It was a different king, a different side story. This was the grandson of this king that had taken him to captivity, and his name was Belshazzar. And this guy was having a party. He had invited all the officials. He had invited their wives. He had invited his wives and concubines. And they said about a 1,000 of his close friends and relatives were at this party, and they were drinking. This guy was lit. He was absolutely having his little wine tastings, and he was talking it up. And all of a sudden, he gets this idea. He's like... I know, I want you to go and get those gold and silver goblets that my grandfather took from the Holy of Holies when he conquered Jerusalem. I want to drink out of those. I like them. 
So if you're a servant, what do you do? You go get them, and they start drinking, they start toasting, and they begin to, to um, toast and drink to their gods, their gods of gold and their gods of silver and bronze and stone and wood and clay. And the Bible says immediately there appeared on the wall this hand. He started writing, and he wrote four words. He wrote, meeny, meeny, tekum, upfring. And they said, all the color drained out of the king's face. Now, y'all know if somebody's been drinking, they got little rosy cheeks. Sometimes they got a little rosy nose. They're, they're chatty Cathy's, right? He stopped everything. They said his back gave out on him, and his knees began to knock. So in my, my mind, I've got this picture of this puppet. And you know how you've got them animated and somebody cuts the strings and they just, I'm like, he, he lost it. So he starts calling for all his, his homies. He calls for them to come and tell him what those words say. And he brings all the soothsayers and all the magicians and all these guys into the party. He says, you know, I'll give you, I'll dress you in purple, which was a royal color. I'll give you gold change. You'll be third in my kingdom. Just tell me what it says. None of these guys could do it. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, could they really not do it? Or they just knew this guy's ego and his temper, and they were scared to tell him what it said because it wasn't pretty. It basically said, you have been measured, you've been found wanting in the balance, and you're done. That's the English part word. <laughs> but he's, he's just, there's this wailing going on. Nobody's telling him that. And I love this next part. Because it says his grandmother was in the palace. Shout out to the grandmas that know something. And that's the only reason I'm telling you all that verse. Because listen to your grandmother. She's prayed for you and she knows something. <laughs> but she came into the room and she's like, Oh, king, live forever. And evidently, you had to address the king that way. Every time you saw him, you had to acknowledge who he was and his deity. Even his grandmother. So king, live forever. Listen, there's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God is. Ooh, got chilies. And in your grandfather's day, he was head of all the spiritual men. So the king sent for him. He's still around. Brought Daniel in. They reiterated all this stuff that he would do. I'll give you know, the purple and the gold and the, um, what do you call it, third in the kingdom. Daniel's already had that stuff. If he could just tell him what it meant. I love this. Daniel answered him. Because he speaks to kings, right? Because he hears from God. Keep your stuff in your reward system. In other words, in my mind, I'm hearing him say, the things of God are not for sale. And he read the messages and then he interpreted it to him. And you might think Daniel might be a little bit reserved because, you know, the king's not doing well. He's in a crumpled heap on the floor, you know. Let's be a little sweet to him. Mm -mm. Daniel says, you've prayed, praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and iron and clay. And they don't know, they can't see, and they can't hear. But the God who holds your breath in his hands, you've disgraced and dishonored. And it was, if it was me, I'd be doing the finger. Listen, Linda, you know, it'd be like, <laughs> this finger would be out there. I'm sure Daniel was cooler than that, but I think that takes some guts, y'all. Daniel... But, you know, Daniel, the, in the other book, 11.32, says, People that honor their God are strong and do exploits. To Daniel, God was big. He served a really big God. And he faced some life or death issues more than once. 
And the thing that I'm seeing consistently as I read his stories, he never breaks that connection with God in any of them. So meanwhile, we're going back to the other story. I'm done with my side trail. Those guys who were gunning for Daniel, that they were, they were stalkers, y'all. They found him praying, which was his pattern, right? They make the edict, and I guess they follow him home. What are they doing, looking in the window? It's like the woman that they caught in adultery. In, they said in the act of adultery in the New Testament. Who's watching that? Like, these, these people are stalkers. But anyway, they found him praying. They hauled him in before the king to tell on him. And so here they're like, oh, king live forever. Here's Daniel. We found him praying to his God instead of your statue. And you signed that law. Remember, you signed that law and you can't take it back and you can't not do it. Well, the king's upset. At this point, he's like, he realizes he was a sucker. He's been played and his ego is about to take out his second in command. So he's really disturbed about that, and he spends all day long trying to figure out a way around it, but he can't. So at nightfall, he has to go get Daniel. His, these guys all come with him because they want to see this, and I'm sure as they marched him down to the lion's den, they're like pretty smug about it. And, he, and as he goes in, they have to seal this thing with a stone, and they put the signet ring on the king on it to make sure that nobody comes out of that den. Sounds a whole lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Seal that tomb so nobody can come out of there, right? So the king says, and you can tell, you know, by the other guys have already walked up, and you can tell he says something. He says, may your God, whom you're serving continually, deliver you. And he sealed him in. He didn't believe what he said. He just kind of hoped. He kind of hoped that would happen for Daniel. He hoped something besides what he did to him. He went back to the palace. He's, he couldn't eat. They brought in the dancing girls. They brought in the musicians. They brought nothing. He's pacing back and forth. He's upset. He couldn't wait till that morning so he could run down and see what happened. So he gets to the, he gets to the den, and he's like, you know how you talk when you really believe something, but you really don't have much confidence that what you're saying is going to come to pass? He's like, Daniel, was your God, whom you continually serve, able to deliver you? from the lions because I'm sure he knew if it was him in that place his gods wouldn't have delivered him now if I'm Daniel I'm like this is a pregnant pause right here <laughs> I'm thinking I'm gonna let this guy that put me in here sweat it out for a minute or two <sighs> that's not how the story went but you know <laughs> Daniel goes oh king live forever God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions so they've not hurt me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no wrong. So the stone was moved. Daniel came out without a scratch, man, not because he believed his God was big. He, believed, he had to believe his God was bigger than those lions. And he could because he had some history with God. God delivered him more than once. He could go back to what he had. And he had the confidence of a heart that wasn't condemned. He knew he didn't do anything wrong. So there's confidence if you're doing the right thing in the disturbance, even if it's uncomfortable. I don't know. It doesn't say really that he saw the angel. 
God could have just told him there's an angel in here, and then he evidenced it because he didn't get eaten up. But I can't imagine that was a really easy night <laughs> with those lions prowling around. You know, you're not just, I don't think that he saw him. I think he just believed God and he was protected. But I've got, still got this image of this ginormous angel in that den with him. And he kind of, for lack of a better word, he like Iron Man with wings, sort of, except he was blonde because, you know, my hero over here is blonde. <laughs> But I can just see that, see that giant angel going, mm-mm, this ain't your dinner, kitty. Yours is coming later, but you just back off. You know? And that lion just kind of realizing there's an, another alpha male here in the room. Now look at this, guys. Daniel, or God delivered Daniel in the lion's den, not from the lion's den. There's times when we're in stuff and you're thinking, I don't know why I'm going through this. I'll tell you what, we had, me and Pat had, we call it our year from hell. One year started with our daughter wrecking the car. And then five people in my family died, including my dad and my stepmom. And then we found out I had a tumor in my leg. And then Pat had, in all of this, he's trying to study for the bar exam. And then, what was the last thing? The house flooded. I'd go to work and people were scared to ask me what kind of day I was having because <laughs> they didn't know what they were going to say to me next. <laughs> but you know what? God delivered us out of all of those things. And he can deliver you from stuff. You don't even, you don't even know what you missed because his hand of protection was on you. You don't even have a clue what was down the street because you turned right and everything else was left. And that's the awesome stuff. There's stuff that he can deliver you from, but there's certainly things he can deliver you out of. So when you come out, there's not a scratch on you. It's like the little Hebrew children. You don't even smell like smoke. You come out smelling like a rose. So how do we apply that to today? How do we just rise above the stuff, the stuff we're walking through now? I said, I don't want to constantly be reacting to something. Well, here's what I found out from these stories. You elevate how you operate. That sounds kind of like a psychology term, but honestly, I, I thought for a minute, I read this thing. Y'all remember that show on TV called um, Dirty Jobs? Mike Rowe did that show, and he wrote some stuff associated kind of like that with going and interviewing people that did some of these jobs, and a couple of them that were attractive to me were about healthcare workers in hospitals, but they interviewed people who were janitors and cleaning people, and across the board, you know, that's not the most glamorous job you can think of. I've worked in a hospital, and I'm glad I don't have to take out some of that trash. But there were a couple of large hospitals that um, they had different attitudes. And so much of it in the interview came out that they were taught on their interview and onboarding process that you're part of a professional team. They were included in rounds that were made on the floor. They were basically um, added to the treatment plans, and they were told how important their job was to the health and the well-being of the people that were in that hospital, and that they could go home earlier if all the things were kept sterile and clean for them. And they believed it. And their absentee rates were less. They just did so well. And that's something that the industry called job crafting. And it's adding something that brings value to people who do a job so that they bring value to the people around them when they do it. 
Now, if you can do that for a job, why can't you do that for your life? Because life and death is in the power of your tongue. You can speak life. You can speak to the circumstances. Pat and I make our confession every day. We start out every morning going, I'm a believer and not a doubter. And we have a little list of things that we tell ourselves about how our day is going to go. Because God's called us to elevation every time. He's called us to come up higher. He said, I'll make your feet like hind's feet so you can walk on my high places. Now, he'll meet you where you are. He has no, re- no problem reaching down and grabbing any of us from the circumstances we have to be in. But it's always to bring you up. It's never to push you down. He wants us to see things from his perspective. I had a pretty neat picture I took the other day. I flew for the first time since COVID. And we got above some turbulence, and man, that sky was blue. It's like, come up higher. You can see things clearly. You can see things better from up here. And you operate more with an excellent spirit. Paul wrote a letter, again, it's another thing from the, uh, to the Philippians, the positive one, from prison. It's Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Let's look at what that says. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves. For then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, I love this, pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and a perverse culture. For you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe, offering them the words of eternal life. I haven't labored among you for nothing, Paul said. For your lives are fruit. That's that ripple effect of my ministry and will be my glorious boast at the unveiling of Jesus. You know, he tells us we can do stuff without complaining with an excellent spirit because you're a child of an excellent God. You know, you want your kids to, to want to know God. You want to live your life in front of them so that they want to know what you know because you know how it will affect their future. You can, you can life craft. You can do that. You can present God in such a way that they want to know it, what you know. I remember our little granddaughter, when she, she heard Pat and me, we were speaking in tongues, and she asked me about it. And she goes, Grammy, what's that? I just told her, I said, it's a gift. She goes, can I have it? I mean, nothing. To, I said, yeah. And she got it. So... You know, we know that if his love is in me, his light is in me. And if his light is in me, we can shine bright in a pretty dark world. It's getting a little bit darker. And because I I heard something the other day. I said, you know, a barking dog can't stop a moving train. (laughs) And I was like, I can see that picture. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine among men that they'll see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. We're the ones that set the standard. We raise above the negative because greater is what's in me. Yes. He is greater than what's in the world. You've got to keep your connection consistent. You can't allow what's happening around you to disrupt that prayer life. Paul, even in prison, maybe give me some water. I've, been, I've talked to myself this so many times. I'm getting hoarse telling you. Thanks. He offered praise and thanksgiving till the, till the prison doors rattled open and his chains fell off. Daniel, 
these Hebrew children, David, all these guys throughout never let their current be disrupted. You know, we've, we don't live in it so much here, but in some places around the world they have rolling blackouts with their electricity. And current's disrupted. You can't get your internet. You can't do a lot of stuff. These guys, you can't allow that to happen. It's like an electrical current. You've got to keep connected to God. Prayer, worship, like we had this morning, so awesome. Being in the Word, Thanksgiving, all those things keep that connection flowing. But I want to hit, to hit one of them in particular. It's giving thanks because that magnifies God. And it creates this sense when you give thanks of his reality. And it, and it shrinks your problems down to nothing. And it keeps your connections in the now. He's working on your behalf. I'm thanking him. Here's a word picture for you. If you, if you gave me a bucket of sand and said, okay, Nikki, there's a bunch of iron particles in here. See if you can find them. I can run my hands through there. Maybe I could pick up one or two little things. But for the majority of it, I'm not going to miss them. But give me a magnet, and I can run that magnet through there, and you can start hearing that little clink, 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 clink. By the time you pick your magnet up, that sucker's full of iron particles that I didn't see before. And it's the same thing with an ungrateful heart. You can miss the things left and right every day, the little things God put in your place because he just thought you would like it. I've never, ever not been amazed at the sunset or the sunrise, number one, the mercy's new every morning because the sun comes up. But it's so beautiful. And he thought of me when he made that. And the colors that I see, there's colors in heaven that'll make that look pale. Can you imagine? Thought I would like it. He thought you would like it. Everyday blessings. A grateful heart draws those things to you. And it recognizes the blessings and it senses the presence of God. A grateful heart sees things that nobody else sees. Daniel gave thanks and prayed three times a day. And when I was, when I was reading that, I thought about Kevin Leal saying, Why three times a day? That seems extreme. It don't take all that. Y'all remember that? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> Try it and see for yourself. Because you see, Daniel was extremely... Protected. He was extremely promoted and he was extremely prosperous. I'll take those extremes any day. God does that for us, but we got to put him first. You know, you got to stay connected to him. You thank him for who he was, the things that he's done for you in the past. You thank him for who he is now, what he's working on on your behalf, what he's doing right now in the everyday. You thank him for who he's going to be in the future, but he says, I know the plans I have for you, and they're a future and a hope, right? You can stay protected, you can stay promoted, you can stay prosperous, no matter how disruptive what's going around us is. And lastly, put your faith in a bigger God. Don't limit him. Don't put him in a box. To Daniel, God was bigger than the lion's den. His consistent connection and his prayer kept God magnified in everything he went through. You know, many of the things going on, I mean, it's just disruptive. Institutions have been disrupted. Worlds have been disrupted. Atmospheres have been disrupted. The things going on on our planet. And, and I keep going back to this little bitty song that we learned in, a, we had vacation Bible school when I was a kid. And some of y'all may remember it. It was like, this is my father's world. Remember that? It is his world. 
And so many of the older prophets and David and Daniel, they just they kept talking about the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's Psalm 24. And Hezekiah would say, oh, Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, God of Israel. And uh, Abraham would talk about how big God was in the expanse of the sky. And David would say, you stretched out the curtains of the heaven and you laid the firmament at my feet. But my favorite one is Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God. You've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. And nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. So I'm starting to incorporate that in how I pray. And when I start to establish that premise first, how big he is, then it's just not hard to say, God, you're bigger than whatever. Fill in the blank. God, you're bigger than the economy. God, you're bigger than the pandemic. God, you're bigger than the job market. God, you're bigger than the illness in my body. God, you're bigger than the marital problems I'm having. God, you're bigger than the fourth grade teacher I didn't want to have my kid have. God, you're bigger than... I'm telling you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in how you live your life. This lady that when we went to church in Houston... When we lived there, she was a, one of the head intercessors. And oh my gosh, y'all, when she came to church, she was dressed to the nines. I mean, we had the hat, we had the bag, we had the shoes that matched. She brought her excellence into the church. She was a little lady, but when she would be asked to pray, oh my word, she'd start out, is anything too hard for the Lord? And it was not a question. It was a statement. And even if you didn't believe it when she first started, you believed it when she was done. Because she could pray down heaven. Guys, this doesn't change God doing this. It changes you. It, it begins to write his truths on your heart. David said, I hide your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. You practice it before you have to perform it. And it becomes so real to you. Psalms 45.1 is so pretty in the, uh, the, what do you call it, the Passion Translation? My heart's on fire. It's boiling over with passion. Bubbling up within me are these beautiful lyrics as lovely as a poem to be sung for the king. Like a river bursting its banks, I'm overflowing with words. The King James says, my mouth is the pen of a ready writer. God said, bring his word back to him. Express your heart to his heart and he'll express his to yours. And I'm declaring, my God is big. My God is powerful. I'm his daughter. He's strong. I'm writing that on my heart. And it replaces the lies that I've believed about him. If I just repent and tell him, I'm sorry I believed that about you, and you correct those things and write it here so I won't do it again, he's so faithful to do that, guys, and he's so tender about it. And in the middle of this disruption, this, this like 2020 that we're living in, that's where my faith and my confidence is. So I'm going to leave you with a little story. I love me some stories. Um, this, this mama grew up, left home, and she came back to visit, and she and her little six-year-old boy, and they went into a, her favorite little candy store, which if any of y'all have been to Mr. Winton's over in Port Aransas, it was like that. If you haven't been, you need to go, but it's like stepping back in time. It's the candy stores where they've got these big bins of candy under glass, and it's just your eyes are popping with all those colors, and you go in the the lady has a glove and scoops it up and puts it in there and you pay for it by weight. But your eyes are just so much bigger than your stomach. You get enough candy to make yourself throw up. But this little lady went into the candy store and she, the owner was still there. He remembered her. They had some conversations. She introduces her little six-year-old boy to him. And you know, as they're leaving, 
the owner says, come back here, son. I said, I've got a special little bag of candy. Why don't you just grab you a handful of that and take it home with you? Nothing. I mean, he's just like flatliner. And he looks up and he goes, I want to ask your mom. She'll probably say it's okay. Mom, is it okay if you get some candy? Oh, sure, honey. Go ahead and get some. Nothing. He stands there for a few more minutes. Finally, the owner of the grabs a big old handful and puts it in a bag and says, here you go. You just enjoy that with your mama later. And you know how us moms are, like, don't embarrass me in front of my friends. You know, when she gets them outside the door, <laughs> and she's like, honey, you've never had a shy bone in your body. I don't know what, why wouldn't you go get some candy from him? And this, <laughs> this reminds me of, like, Mark's littlest boy. For some reason, I've got this picture of Mark's smallest boy, and he looks at him with the sage wisdom of a six-year-old, and he goes, Mama, his hands are bigger than mine. Y'all, we serve a big God whose hands are bigger than ours, whose power is bigger than ours, and whose wisdom is bigger than ours. We serve a big, big God. And if you don't know him, or you don't know him like that, man, there's a hundred people in here that would love to introduce you to him. If you haven't experienced that about him, we want you to. He's a big, big God. And he wants to bless you with his presence. Okay? Champion.